You can measure everything. And while that is really powerful, it's only as powerful as the insights that you're gleaning from it and the way that you're utilizing it. Because measuring for measurement's sake without actually making any meaningful change or learning anything from the way the data is performing isn't going to take you very far. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Samantha Allen, Senior Vice President of Digital Marketing at Carson Group. Samantha Allen is a rock star when it comes to digital marketing and was recently recognized by WealthManagement.com as a rising star. Samantha is part of our team at Carson Group and leads the integrated channel team. What the heck does that mean? She is responsible for events, digital marketing, and public relations. Samantha sets and supports strategy and execution for brand growth, consumer lead generation, advisor recruitment, M&A, and industry thought leadership. Samantha is a self-proclaimed nerd and an expert in all things digital marketing. Listen in for some great takeaways about the latest marketing trends the AI landscape, and the tech platform she has helped to build to measure analytics and data, which all businesses need to do. Well, I have the opportunity today of speaking with Samantha Allen, Senior Vice President of Digital Marketing at Carson Group. Thank you so much for joining us, Samantha. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Me as well. So what I want to do is, and I try to do this with all of our guests, because obviously I tend to know a lot about our guests, but a lot of times our audience or listeners don't know a lot. So can you share with our audience a bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today? And then we'll dive in a little bit deeper about what your work is today. Of course, happy to. And I kind of have an interesting story of how I ended up working specifically in financial services and digital marketing. So I can dig into that a little bit. But basically, my name is Samantha Allen. Right now, I lead the digital marketing team at Carson Group. But prior to this, I have had quite the career of some really fun business to consumer facing experiences in marketing, and then rounded all the way around to financial services eventually actually started in travel, tourism, and hospitality. So back in the day, I was the digital marketing expert for South Dakota tourism. I also worked on a couple quick serve restaurants that are here in the Midwest. So Taco John's and Who Hot. So those are all really fun experiences. I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota when I worked on that. So I've kind of been around geographically too. I went from there to starting to work on more B2B brands. So lots of health insurance. I moved to Denver and worked for an agency there, some real estate. And from there, I knew that I wanted to end up back in the more central Midwest. I grew up here in Nebraska 
I had this opportunity to work on an account for TD Ameritrade and met some really great folks through that. And eventually, after working on the account for about four years, there was an opportunity to join the team as their manager of search engine marketing and social media. And so that was my first kind of in-house marketing job. And it was also my first fully dedicated financial services marketing job. And I've never left. So worked at TD Ameritrade for a couple of years, left ahead of the acquisition. Actually, my mentor at the time kind of coached me towards exploring other opportunities instead of trying to stay on with Schwab. And so moved on to another financial services marketing agency, was there for a short time before I was recruited away to come and be a Carson Group. Amazing. Yeah. And you and I originally met at TD Link in 2019. I think it was the last TD Link. It was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we met. So what was the passion? Where does the passion come around marketing? It seems like it's something you've been doing for a very long time, kind of gravitated to that right out of the gate. What was the interest there? I think for me, it's telling the story. And that's exactly why I've landed in digital too. So I think like when you go to school for marketing, you're taught kind of the basics, the principles of public relations, advertising, different parts of human motivation. But then once you graduate, you're kind of thrown into a world that is moving faster than like higher education can keep up with. So when I was in school, I worked all of these extra jobs. I had so many jobs when I was in college, as we all did. I would work on the side for these small businesses, helping them build websites. This was back when Facebook was just becoming a thing. MySpace was still a thing, helping them set up their social media profiles. And I was really interested in how storytelling through digital mediums is becoming more of a two-way conversation and not so much you fill out the big fancy creative brief and you go to the television set and you film a commercial and then you place the Super Bowl ad and you're basically just talking at your audience and broadcasting your story to your audience. With social media and digital marketing, it's become a much more two-way conversation. It's you telling your story, but actively letting your audience and your fans and your customers participate in that story. I got hooked and I've been in it ever since. I also love the way that technology just really challenges marketers to stay up to date, to find new ways to hone their craft it really keeps it fresh. It's definitely not a profession that you're ever able to kind of be caught flat-footed. That's for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. The episode name, we named it the Digital Debrief, which is something you've created. So what is the Digital Debrief? In short, it is my chance to be very nerdy that I get to do once a month. It's completely independent from any professional role that I've had. I started writing it. It's a monthly debrief of all of the kind of by marketers, for marketers, and business owners news. I like to think of it as kind of like the skim, if you've ever read the skim newsletter. It's kind of like the skim, but it's a month's worth of content, and it's all of the things that are happening in social media digital marketing, search engine marketing, technology that you as a business owner, or if you had a marketing team member who was kind of, you're in charge of a lot, what are the things you actually need to know? Because if you're a marketer and you're getting onto all these different websites, you've got thousands of articles to look through. And I'm already doing that. I mean, I'm a huge, I write it on the weekends. That's what I spend my weekend doing is I'm reading these articles and kind of staying up to date with these updates. And so I found that it's like, there's a real audience for someone to go out and actually skim through these articles and say, this is what actually matters. 
and then synthesizes it a little bit. So kind of write it down, debrief it, say, here's why it matters and the breakdown of what it is, and really stick to what's actually happening. Because in the world of digital marketing, there's a lot of rumor. It'll say, oh, I think I saw there's these sleuths that they might see a bit of code in the back end of Instagram's API. And they're like, oh, that definitely means Instagram's going to do this. And we don't actually know until something rolls out. So I try to stick to that too. Like this is what's going to impact your business. Here's how it's going to impact it and how you can get ready. Yeah. And to your point earlier, it's an area that's in constant flux, constant change, constant improvement. So I can't imagine you'll ever run out of topics to write about in the digital debrief when all said and done. Yeah. I have to really narrow it down. Like some months I'll have like 10 pages of content and it'll be a challenge for me to skim it down even further. So that way I'm not completely overwhelming my readers. Right. Amazing. So one of the things I want to talk about is your brainchild, the marketing monitor, which you were nominated for a wealthy this year. And basically what the marketing monitor does is it centers around analytics and data measurements for the business owner, for the marketing person. Why are analytics so essential for effective digital marketing? Well, I think it goes back to like the power of digital marketing. One, that it's a two-way platform, right? We talked about that. But two, you can measure everything. And while that is really powerful, it's only as powerful as the insights that you're gleaning from it and the way that you're utilizing it. Because measuring for measurement's sake without actually making any meaningful change or learning anything from the way the data is performing isn't going to take you very far. So what I found is I worked with, it actually started when I was at TD Ameritrade. I was on the institutional side and I did a lot of just consulting work with advisors because as a custodian, we didn't do any of the marketing for our advisors. We mostly just supported them. So I almost had a little frustration point where I'm like, I want to help you because I can see that you're overwhelmed. Like I actually... I like to call it the data death march. You've got (laughs) all of these different platforms. You've got Facebook analytics, you've got Google analytics, you have your email platform, you have your SEO platform. And if you log into each one of these, first of all, logging in is going to take you 10, 15 minutes per platform. You remember your password, all of that. Get logged in, you navigate to where the analytics section is, and then you're overwhelmed with lots of different numbers. And in each of the platforms, they all mean something different. What is a visit? on Google Analytics. Is that the same as a page view in Facebook Analytics or is it different? I mean, it's very confusing and nuanced. And then once you kind of got logged in, you're looking, you take it out, you probably put it in a spreadsheet because that's where you can kind of manipulate and pull some things out of the data. And from there, it inevitably ends up in a PowerPoint. And by then you've wasted, not wasted, but spent probably four or five hours on this. It's probably kind of lost its power because you've spent so much time looking at it. It's crossed through a couple different platforms. What I tried to do with the marketing monitor is solve that problem for advisors. And I think it's something that any business owner could look at and learn from and probably recreate for themselves. It's basically a suite of dashboards that pulls from the APIs of these different platforms. So we have a website analytics dashboard that pulls from SEO, from your search engine, from your Google analytics, from your email, all into one spot. So that way you can see how was my website performing. And then on top of that, we've also kind of, again, synthesize down what metrics you actually should be looking at. So if you were to go into Google Analytics today, you're going to see hundreds of data points. But as a business owner, all that really matters is not only how many visitors you're getting on your site, 
But are those visitors actually staying on the site? Are they actually interacting with your content? Are they going on to become clients? Are they going on to become customers? So that's what the metrics that we picked to kind of show are all that. They're the KPIs that actually impact. And you have the benefit of the Carson Group marketing team on the back end constantly asking, are these still the right numbers? Do we need to update it? It's completely automated. Our advisors don't have to worry about it. And that's really what makes it so powerful. If I'm a business owner and don't have marketing monitor, right, or I don't have the availability, I think you mentioned it, but I wanted to just clarify, is the really the top matrix that I should be looking at or metric, I should say, that I'm looking at is really how many hits am I getting to my website and how long are those people staying for? Is that really the most viable way to see if your website or whatever you're doing is actually working? So I actually think that there's a couple metrics that would tell you that. Of course, you want to see the volume of traffic, the number of visits. That's important. But I think what matters more is, of course, are they finding what they need once they land on your site? So things like bounce rate, time on site, pages per session, and then also your sources. Like That is my favorite report in Marketing Monitor. And if you were to go to a more traditional analytics platform like Google Analytics, if you're looking at, okay, I'm really active on social media, but all of the visits I get from social media leave the site within two minutes of landing. Then you know that the content you're posting on social media isn't quite aligned with your audience. The audience is clicking, not finding what they want, and they're leaving. On the other side of the coin, you might see for organic search, you're getting a smaller amount of traffic, but that traffic is really engaging. They're visiting multiple pages. They're actually filling out the form to learn more about your business. So that would tell you, okay, well, Organic search might be a longer play. It takes longer to get those visits. There's not as many of them. They're higher value, so I should spend some more time there. Those are the types of insights that, while they're just numbers on a page when you start, when you really sit down and think about it, that can really impact and help you focus in on your marketing efforts and drive your business forward. Amazing. Great tips for the business owners out there. So I think in this time that we're in now, anything that has the word digital in it has to bring up AI. And AI is changing things and AI itself is changing very quickly, but it's definitely changing the digital landscape really at a record speed. What do you think is critical for people, business owners to understand about AI and how it can or should be used or when it should be used? I'll use digital debrief as the example here because I use AI now to write the digital debrief. Okay. I started writing this, oh gosh, probably like six years ago, six or seven years ago. And you can even see if you look at my LinkedIn page, there's months where I didn't write one because I just didn't have time. I have a daughter, I have pets, I'm busy and I wouldn't get it done because it would take hours and hours and hours for me to scour the internet, find the articles I wanted to cover, summarize them all up. I'm a bit of a slow writer. So When I looked at how can I make this more streamlined, how can I start to automate some of this, I identified the parts that make the digital debrief so powerful and the parts that I only uniquely can provide to it and the parts that were taking me the longest, right? So Mm -hmm. the truth is writing the digital debrief is not my superpower. The superpower is that I'm reading these articles and handpicking what really matters and then handpicking out of the articles what is the key takeaway. So I can actually go onto ChatGPT 
give ChatGPT the rough kind of outline of what I want and then ask ChatGPT to write it in the style of the digital debrief. That's what happens. It just quickly does it. I've cut probably two hours out of the writing process from doing that. The takeaway with that and to answer your question is that I really think that as business owners are looking at AI, it's never going to be a replacement for humans. It's going to be an enabler of human potential. So what are the things that you can only uniquely do? The other things, automate it, give it to AI, kind of think about it as if it's an assistant to you or an extension of you. Right. It was going to free up your hands and your mind to write the things that only you can write because it's taking all the things that are more table stakes off your plate. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's a huge time saver. I've used it to generate ideas and thoughts and in order to build on it, because I like you, writing is something I kind of have to do, but it's not something that comes easy. Talking comes yeah. much easier, but yes. ChatGPT and some of those other AI tools have been extremely helpful. I think you'd agree if you're a business owner and not looking at it or knowing about it or leveraging it, not replacing people with it, but leveraging it and accenting your business, you're probably missing out, I would think. I always hear about, is it going to replace? Is it going to replace? And a really good example of how it's not going to be taking our jobs anytime soon is I actually, to the point of asking it for ideas, I was in a brainstorm for our annual conference for the 2024 version. Our conference is called Excel. And we're going to be having it in Orlando next year. And so we were just talking about themes and ideas. And I just was kind of off the side of my desk, typed into it. Give me some ideas for a financial services conference in Orlando, Florida. And it came back with Swamp Summit. Oh, boy. (laughs) And I was like, well, (laughs) it's not there to like really take that human brain and that creativity it takes to pull out an idea for a conference theme, for example. Clearly, that's not what we're looking right, for. Right. But it did make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I guess it has a sense of humor after all, because there was mm-hmm. some debate on that too. So let's shift over to a different mode for a second. In the past year or so, you've become a parent. You talked about your roles increasing, your involvement in marketing over the years. What advice do you have for the young professionals out there as they start their parenting journey? Because it's a challenge, right? Yeah. And actually, I'm not even sure if I'm the right person to be given advice quite yet, because I think I'm still figuring it out. But I have a two-year-old and she's amazing. I think my biggest piece of advice is it's just going to continue to get better (laughs) every single day. She's got a new word or something funny she's doing that it's such a rewarding journey. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned in the last two years since becoming a mom and a working mom is, and this is going to sound so cliche, but is that you don't have to be superwoman. You do not have to take everything on. You need to lean on your, they say it takes a village and they're not lying. It's so important to be able to tap your resources. And even if those, it doesn't always mean like a resource, like having someone come over and watch her while you're doing something else or asking your parents to babysit or something like that. Like sometimes it's even just a text from a friend and like that emotional support of like, I'm really struggling today or having mom guilt or trying to get all of my work done. Plus the work at home. There's so many other parents that are working parents and it's not just to females. I have several male coworkers that are new parents too. And it's always really nice just to have that camaraderie of like, we are in this together. (laughs) 
I want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our latest best-selling book, Financial Planning Made Personal. It breaks down complex financial concepts into simple, easy-to-follow steps that anyone can understand. Everyone has a unique financial journey, and this book can help yours. Do you have your copy yet? If not, please go to financialplanningmadepersonal.com and order one today. And I have one more question for you. What did you do today that brought you joy? I'm happy that you have that. It's important to have that infrastructure and it's extremely helpful. I've seen you with your daughter and you're a great mom and it seems like (laughs) she's a really happy kid. So that's all that matters when all's said and done. So I want to shift gears for a minute. So I know Denise gets twisted when people refer to her as sweetheart or honey. And I recently heard someone call you the pretty face of marketing. I'd like you to educate our listeners about why, and hopefully they know this already, but we can reinforce it if they don't or educate them if they don't. Why is there no place in business for this? Obviously, for me, it's a rhetorical question, but (laughs) there really is no place in business for it. But why is there no place in business for this? So when that happened to me, I was immediately taken aback. Like I was almost like just frozen because I didn't know how to respond because I could tell the person was trying to give me a compliment, but it did not feel like a compliment. I mean, it was really hurtful. I mean, honestly, there's really no place in your everyday communications for that. I think it's fine to, if you have a close relationship with someone to let them know they look nice that day. But in reality, like someone's look, someone's appearance is such a personal thing. And it's really, it has no place in any type of professional conversation, unless they've got like a hair that's sticking up crazy and you're doing a courtesy by letting them know (laughs) they need to fix it. Right. It's better left unsaid, even if it's meant with all of the positive intent meant to be a compliment, because in the moment, like I could tell this person didn't even think twice about it, just kind of let it roll off and kept going. And same thing happened a, a couple weeks later, someone was asking about where I was from. And I mentioned that I was from a really small town and they were like, wow, I just can't believe that you're able to keep up or something silly like that. And it just, again, Keep it professional. Try to avoid the comments on how someone looks, even if it's just like you look tired today. Right. Has the opposite. (laughs) Maybe think a few seconds before it comes out of the mouth, right? I think that's exactly it. And I think if you are going to give someone a compliment on their area of expertise, their domain of expertise, you're much better suited to just keep it focused on that area. So if I think that that person was really enjoying my presentation and just kind of at a loss for words at the moment, but I would have much preferred it if they would have asked a question. I had just been talking about AI. So maybe ask a question about AI or give me an example of how you're working in AI and let's continue keeping it focused on the business. Yeah, or simply great presentation, end of story. Or that. (laughs) Very true, yes. I think women are a key component to our profession. 
whether it be in a marketing capacity, an advisory capacity. I don't think there are enough women in our profession. I don't think there are enough other than older white guys like me in our profession. I think we're short in a lot of different areas. But I want to keep on this theme for a minute. And my understanding is the 2023 Women in Wealth Management Report was just recently completed. Can you share what the findings are and what it means for the profession itself? I have some what we like to call glimmers and then some not so glimmers to share from the report. So the 2023 Women in Wealth Report is kind of a annual analysis of the financial services industry and the role that women play. Something that we found last year when we did the first edition of this report is that not only are women drastically underrepresented in our industry, which is no news to anyone, and we don't want to just focus on the negatives of that, but it is true. What we found was that the perception of that issue really varied differently between men and women. So we found that while men recognized that there were not enough women in the profession, they did not find that to be a huge issue where women were like, yes, there's hardly any women. It's very underrepresented and it's a huge issue. So we saw some disparity between those two groups measuring that again this year The disparity has shrank a little bit, but not very much. And we've also found, no surprise, can't change it all in a year, that the number of women in the industry is still drastically underrepresented. But we do have some really great findings. We really tried to focus the report this year on pathways. So how women join the industry and then also how do they experience the industry once they're in it. So we asked a lot of questions about how did you find your way into financial services? Were you in a different industry before? Did you join in a different role other than financial advisor? And then also what role did mentorship and sponsorship play in your career trajectory? Mm -hmm. And we found some really interesting things about that. Found that it's super important to have more sponsors than mentors and that there's a lot of misunderstandings in the industry. And I think this probably stretches far beyond the financial service industry that a lot of people think that they're being a sponsor, but really what they're doing is just being a mentor, which is obviously there's a huge need for mentorship. But I think when it comes to an industry like ours, that women are already facing kind of an uphill battle, sponsorship is really what's going to move the needle And the differences between mentorship and sponsorship is really like the idea of putting your social and professional capital on the line for somebody. So opening that door, making the introduction, really saying, I want this person for this role and these responsibilities, and I'm going to help make it happen over just kind of helping give advice and asking thought-provoking questions on how they can make it happen for themselves. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's interesting that for the most part, men don't feel that there's as big of an issue as the women do, because in my view, women are going to, I believe they currently do, control more than 50% of the wealth. So how are we going to have people in our organizations and part of our teams that are going to speak to those people? Some of them will speak to men, and that's fine. Others will feel far more comfortable speaking to another or working with another woman. So I think that those are key roles to have in a firm just based upon that alone without even diving deeper into some of the other issues that surround that. We actually found another interesting layer of it is that we're seeing as 
women working in professional services across business, not just financial services. But so as you see the rise of more clients that are female executives, female business owners, they're also wanting to have more female advisors that can kind of level with them on some of the challenges they face. Things like the second shift, what we talked about with parenting and working. And so advisors are really finding like a lot of power and kind of having a teaming approach of Mm -hmm. having that woman advisor in the room. And also like a takeaway for female advisors is that it's okay to lean into who you are and lean into being a woman and bringing that perspective where I think before it was kind of like hide it a little bit, become a little bit more masculine in order to succeed in this industry. A lot of women are finding success in bringing everything that being a female is to the table And they're also finding something that I thought was really interesting is that we've seen a rise in kind of forced entrepreneurship for women. So if they can't find the flexibility that they need in the traditional firms, they're actually going out and founding their own firms more out of a necessity because they want that flexibility and they want to be able to focus on the female clientele and things like that. So it's like a mission driven, but a little bit forced entrepreneurship. Yeah, I agree. I know that kind of out of this report, or even really before the report came out, you, along with other women in the profession, have kind of brought your advocacy to another level with bringing together Excel Represent. Can you tell our listeners what Excel Represent is? And how do you think that having I guess, events, for lack of a better word, or a community where people could come around is making an impact on these numbers that are clearly showing a disconnect. I can't say enough about Excel Represent. I mean, that's the truth. I'll talk forever. (laughs) But basically what it is, so there are several events across the financial services industry that focus on women. There's Women Advisors Summit, there's Invest in Women, there's Women Working in Wealth, And they are all fantastic events. You'll find something different at all of them. And I've only been to a few, but a couple of them, they're very focused on professional development. Some of them are very focused on the role of financial advisors. So you're going to find a lot of CE credit. And for me as a marketer, it's not quite as impactful. What Excel Represent really is, is it is a conference for women in financial services industry, regardless of your role. So you're going to find you're going to find a lot of really great stuff if you're a financial advisor. You're going to find a lot of great content if you're a financial advisor, but also a business owner. If you are a marketer, if you are a compliance officer, if you're chief relations officer for your firm, if you're maybe chief relations officer, but you're looking at becoming an advisor and you've kind of got that transition in your future. This conference is really about bringing all of us together no matter which path in financial services we're walking, we are all walking the path of being very much the minority in the industry and also allies. I mean, that's the thing. I think last year, it was the first time I'd ever been to a conference that instead of being 20% women, 80% men, it was the opposite. It was 80% women, 20% men. But the men that were there were the guys, like the men to have at the event with us. They were allies. They were supporting. They were asking great questions. They were kind of facilitating awesome conversations about how they can do better. And then on top of that, it's just amazing content. We try and bring in a woman business leader from outside the industry. We're going to have Jenny Fleiss this year. She's the co-founder of Rent the Runway and Jet Black. Mm -hmm. So she's very much on like that new technology front, but also a mom 
someone who works this incredible high powered, high stress job, and then goes home and does arguably a more important job with her family. So something we can all relate to. So it's all about having those kind of authentic conversations and really putting it through the lens of like real talk. Like this is not glamorous to be a working mom and having to take pumping breaks and storing milk and all of that. Like it's just the reality of it. But I came to a conclusion last year after my first year of working motherhood that if we continue to act like this isn't ideal, it's not really built for working moms to succeed, then it'll never change. And when I look at my daughter, Amelia, I think if she chooses to be a working mom, I want her to have the support that I didn't have. And so I'm going to say, this is the support I need. Yeah, great point. And hopefully you'll see these Excel represents as the years go on impact those wealth management reports in a positive way. And I think you could probably see some direct correlation there too. I hope so. (laughs) One of the things you mentioned was allies, right? And specifically at Excel Represent, you mentioned having male allies there. So obviously, I'm not in a position, I'm not a woman, I don't know exactly what you feel. I can only tell you what my experiences have been through watching my wife, Denise, and her experiences of being in a similar way to you, being that working mom and balancing, et cetera. So what is the best way that somebody who's not in your shoes can be an ally? What are the best ways that we can help support and raise the profession as a whole by adding experience and having an impact? Well, I think it all starts with culture at the top if you are a business leader, and there are so many of them that just because of the makeup of the industry, they're, they're men, they're males, and you don't see a lot of females in the higher levels of leadership. And that has got to change. Because I think that that is where being a younger professional, myself, when I join a firm, one of the first things I do is I look at their leadership page. Mm -hmm. Do I see anybody that looks like me? Is there a pathway for me to continue my career at a place like this? If you only see one or two, that makes it really hard. You want to be able to provide that career path. And I think it goes back to what we just talked about with sponsorship. There are so many fantastic male sponsors in the industry, but we need more. That's just the long and the short of it is that I have a mentor and sponsor that last couple of years, I meet with her, I'm meeting with her this afternoon, actually. And she doesn't work at the same place as me. She's kind of just out in the industry. She gives me fantastic advice, helps me kind of step out of my comfort zone and see things from a new perspective. She's always, I know that she sees a door that should be open for me. She would open it and gladly hold it open for me. But it would be fantastic to be able to also have a male in that sponsorship role too. I think that it's always just easier to connect with another woman, Mm -hmm. but it's equally important to see males kind of reaching behind and kind of pulling females along with them and through that sponsorship role. Great. And hopefully we'll see more of that as time goes on. I mean, I think to your point, you can't move the needle from zero to hundred percent in a year, but hopefully we'll, by constantly uplifting and pushing the needle, we'll get it there eventually. And I think when going into these things, we always think it's going to take a lot longer And I think our expectations end up kind of making it challenging for us. But in the end, I think things happen more quickly than we actually think they're going to happen. So hopefully that's the case with this as well. 
Yeah, I actually, we kind of, as we were forming the survey this year, I think we were a little bit more negative than we needed to be. Like we, we kind of avoided asking some of the exact same questions because we're like, if we benchmark just the same questions every year, we're going to be so disappointed. But the needle had moved a little bit just year over year. And I think that events like Excel represent having more discussions about how you can be a mentor and a sponsor, how you can build great career paths for women at your firm. I think that the more conversations we have about it, it's just going to continue to get better. I agree. And now we're at the uh, the best part of the show for me, which is because this is the Midland Money Mindset and we're all about joy here. So we ask each of our guests the same last question, which is what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? I almost changed my answer. I was driving <laughs> home and I called, I had a coworker this morning. She's on my team and she seemed really kind of down and stressed in our kind of early morning team meeting. And I called her on my way home and really just had a very honest conversation with her of just like, what's going on? You know? And I was like, it set me in a good place for this afternoon, having that connection. But at the beginning of the day, I did have something that I do every single day that really set me up for success. So I'll share it with you. Sure, go ahead. Bear with me. Double joy. We're good with that. (laughs) (laughs) My husband works on a job site. And so he gets up really early. He's out the door by 5, 5.30 in the morning every day. So it's my role to get our daughter Amelia up and ready and off to her daycare before I head out for my day. And every morning when I get her up, we go over to her little mirror that she has in her room and we look in the mirror and I try to say something to her that's like, I am brave, I am kind, I am courageous, I am honest, I'm creative. So she's learning new words. And today she said, that's cool (laughs) to herself (laughs) in the mirror. And I just, that is one of the best parts of my day is starting that with her And she kind of pointed right at the mirror and said, that's cool. And I just, it really made me smile. And I continued to smile about it well into my morning. So Awesome. Well, I'm glad you had such a joyful day today. (laughs) You deserve it. So listen, we're going to have all of your information in the show notes. But if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, learn more about what you're doing around marketing and the digital debrief, what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? I am a big LinkedIn user. So I would say Twitter, obviously I'm really active on Twitter too, or X, but LinkedIn is where you're going to find the digital debrief. I publish it there every month. You can subscribe to it and get it in your inbox. And then I also am very accepting of kind of requests on LinkedIn. I'm a bit of an open book. So you can follow me there. You can connect with me. You can send me a message. I check that platform the most. I've been amazed at the transformation that LinkedIn has made in the last couple of years into being more of an ecosystem of content. Amazing. Well, listen, connect with Samantha, sign up for the digital debrief. It's a wealth of information, especially if you or your business are marketing or you're a marketing person. I pretty much guarantee you will learn something every month. It's that good. So I appreciate your time, Samantha. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the day. Of course. Thank you, Larry. It was wonderful. I want to thank Samantha Allen for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Samantha is amazing at what she does, all things digital marketing. This is an area of focus for all businesses and entrepreneurs, and it is truly an honor to have her as part of our team. Her innovative ideas, which she shares through her digital 
debrief always have an impact. I would highly suggest you follow her if you are looking for great ideas in the digital space. Samantha Allen and the Carson Group can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.